Good morning, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome. If we've not met before, we're glad to see you here and online as well. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, we know that it's a little bit smoky out there, and so I hope that you're doing all right. I told the folks down in the fellowship hall this morning, we all have to quit smoking, right? Just quit smoking. Clean air would be nice. It would be good to see the fresh air, and so we'll be praying about that. A little bit later on in the service, I'm going to shake things up a little bit. We're going to have an opportunity for prayer sharing together, so I'll be walking around with a little notepad, and if you've got any prayer requests, be thinking about that so that we can pray for those uh, people or those needs that you have, and, and want to express that to the Lord this morning. So with that, let's begin with prayer, as we should. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to your house today for refreshment, for encouragement, for revitalization, Lord God, in our spirit that, God, we would truly live and walk in the steps of Christ, led by your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. Lord, help us to be salt and light. Help us, Lord God, to represent the truth. Even in our weaknesses, Lord God, we pray that your strength just shines through and that we, too, can give you glory with our brothers and sisters around the world today. God, may your will be done in and through us, and may the world receive and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, you guys, you were the choir this morning, and we are here to worship the Lord. So let's all stand up and sing our hearts out to him. We're going to start with uh, all creatures of our God and King. Fall and bend it. 
From this side of heaven, Father, we are just at your mercy, and we love your grace, and we thank you, Father, that um, you have revealed yourself to us in a beautiful way through the love of Christ. And Lord, we just thank you that you dwell within us. And Lord, this morning, we just are so grateful for you. In Jesus' name. Father God, what a great day to come to worship you. We're, we're good because Jesus has made us and declared us to be good. 
And we know we fall short, but we know that in your sight and by your declaration, you've declared us to be righteous. And you have that sovereign freedom to do that because you love us. You don't want to see anybody perish, but all to come to saving grace in Christ Jesus. We know that your Holy Spirit's at work, and here we are, Lord God, worshiping you this morning, despite this little bit of smoke in the air and maybe getting up early and tussling with our outfits, what we're going to wear and how to get people fed and in the car and to church. There's so many things. But God, we're here because you called us. You called us, you chose us, you elected us to salvation, and God, we are grateful. We owe you everything. We belong to you as your children, sons and daughters in Christ. And so, God, we come to be refreshed, encouraged, blessed, to be enriched, to know what it is to be in love with you more and more every day, and to grasp how much you love us, how great you really are. Your ways are perfect. Your purposes will be fulfilled and are. And so, God, we come in great faith to give you thanks and glory today to magnify your name. In Jesus, amen. Please be seated. I'd like to invite the kids to come up just briefly uh, with me up on the steps. So anybody uh, up through fifth grade, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers are staying here today. Uh, Gabe is with Rachel in Northern Ireland this morning, visiting with her family. But they we do have youth group. Huh? We do have youth and group. And we do have youth group on Wednesday night, so there will be a team of us there. So ready to raring to go. So come on up, those of you that are up through fifth grade or so, come on up. And if you're feeling like a kid this morning, come on up. Join me right here on the stairs. Yeah, have a seat. You can look out. I'll turn around. We'll just wait a second for folks to come down. There you are. Hi, Smiley. Good to see you. Hi. Come on up. One of the earliest things that any of us learn in school probably is our ABCs. Would you agree? You know, let's get those ABCs down, right? So we've got even a song that helps us remember our ABCs. Hi, guys. Come on up. We'll wait. No rush. Yeah. ABCs. One, two, threes, right? Yeah. Come on up. Good to see you. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. Oh, don't worry. You're all right. You're fine. It's a long walk, yeah. 60 feet for little feet. All right. Ah, good to see you. So, how many of you know the ABC song? Yeah? Can you join Jenny in singing it? Jenny will lead us off. Yep, I muted it. I didn't want you to hear me singing ABCs in case I missed it. Okay, sorry guys. So, here's a little ABC book with uh, ABCs don't change, right? 
Well, the Word of God doesn't change either. And one of the ways that Jenny learned the Bible scriptures is with the ABCs. So here's an example of an A, and it starts off with this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's from this book of Romans that we've been preaching through here. A B is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Praise the Lord. So there's a scripture verse for every single letter. Here's an E. Even a child is known by what they do, by their doing. Aha. So that's a sweet one. How about another one? Here's what Jesus said in an I. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So if Jesus wants it done, do you know what's going to get done? If God wants it done, is it going to get done? Just like the ABCs, you can count on it, right? Let's see if I can find one more here in the list. Oh, here's what we're doing today. Here's an R. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath day is a day for worship. It's a day to be encouraged and refreshed with God and with each other, right? And so when you head down the Sunday school wing, celebrate the Sabbath. Enjoy it. That's what God wants us to do and have some fun together and learn your ABCs in the Bible, right? There's, you can count on the Bible. You can count on the ABCs. The Bible does not change. The Word of God is constant. Yes? Is P Palm Sunday? Is P Palm Sunday? Elemental i got to remember my alphabet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, if you want a short memory verse, that's Psalm 147.1. Praise the Lord. Done. Woohoo! I like those short and sweet ones. What is it? Jesus wept might be one of the shortest verses, but in Greek there's an even shorter one, but I won't bug you with that one because I can't remember it. It's too short to remember. Yeah, all right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that in our language, ABCs are always just the ABCs. Simple, steady, constant, always, all through school, ABCs. Lord, we thank you that when we read your Bible, it doesn't change. No matter what grade we're in, no matter how old we are, the Bible is constant, just like the ABCs. And we can count on it, Lord. Count on your word. I pray that every boy and girl here celebrates the truth that you've given us to know the scriptures, to know what you teach us, and to know how to live, and especially, especially know that they are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That is a gift, and I pray that each one of them is that special gift, receives that gift today and every day, that they know that they are your children forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, head on down the hallway. Your teachers are waiting for you. By the way, this comes from David Frazier's little library at home. He gave it to me to use, so kudos to Dave for thinking about us. I'd also want to invite us to think about our prayer concerns. I've got a couple written down already. Uh, both Patty Brown and Dolores Leonard are at Willamette Falls Hospital. Uh, I think Dolores is still there. And uh, keep them in your prayers. If, with all the smoke in the air, too, Patty has particular difficulties. Also, Sharon Gard, I told her this morning we'd be praying for her. There she is that her battle with the cancer. We also want to pray for the fires and things that we all know are out there going crazy. You may not know it, I used to fight fires uh, with the Department of Natural Resources in Washington State, so it's hard work and uh, callous building and dirty work, so pray for all those two that are working out there. Uh, Teresa Kale's mother, Caroline, is at OHSU, 
And so Pete and Teresa aren't here with us in worship today. They're out there uh, waiting for doctor's rounds to figure out what they can do, if anything, uh, at this point in, her, in Caroline's life. So keep Teresa and all the family in your prayers. Uh, Jenny's niece called just this last week and told her that she's reaffirmed her faith in Jesus. Uh, and, and that's really exciting and brought Jenny to tears and a very good, good moving conversation with her. And she also found the love of her life in the human form, a man that uh, loves her dearly. And she's experiencing real love for the first time in a long, long time. Not only from this person, this man, but also from the Lord. And it's a real blessing. And then uh, Teen Challenge. We've got a little note on Teen Challenge that we want to hear about. There you go. I'll repeat it. So for those that couldn't hear, the Teen Challenge group was heading out towards Spokane to go to a campground to baptize and revival going on and the fire wiped out the campground on the day that they were going. So they turned back and they went to a different location and were thanking God that they were protected and, and kept safe during all that time. Deb? A lot of praises. Mm -hmm. So for those that couldn't hear, uh, Deb is saying that Diana's last week with her is this coming week, and then she'll be transitioning to independent living. But she's graduated from high school, she's learned English, her native language was Russian, and uh, just pray that as she moves into the Milwaukee area, that she continues her walk with the Lord, and if anybody lives out that direction, maybe you could consider picking her up and taking her home to uh, continue her journey with Christ here, so that would be great. Pastor, yeah. my son-in-law's father is in the nursing home on hospice, 
they don't expect him to live, but he's a Jehovah Witness and he thinks he's going to go to sleep and wake up somewhere else. So. Do you know his name? No. Okay. I do not. But your son-in-law, yes. dad. Yes, I don't know his name. Okay, your son-in-law's dad is in ho on hospice, not expected to live, Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Needs to hear the truth and know it. I'm, I'm not praying for him to get well. I'm praying for him to get saved. saved. You got it. You will do, you bet. Oh, sorry, Willie. And I am uh, so kind of really sad. It's kind of lonely. But I pray for his family. His wife's name is Deanne. And, um, you know, it was a very, very tough time for them. Um, they don't have a lot of spiritual grounding, uh, except for Deanne. But anyway, pray for her, for she, she and her children. Mm -hmm. So uh, Willie's brother passed away Wednesday, Wednesday and uh, just pray for the, her brother's wife, Deanne, for comfort and for all the family. Yeah. Did you have something? Okay. Hey. Hello. Louise and Ron. Hey, good to see you. You just missed the smoke, so you had to come back up here. Yes, I did. Yeah, all right. good, good to see you. How about back here, Isa? Yeah, Sandy? Kenna uh, was at a youth camp this last week and was baptized. Oh, okay. <laughs> she beat me to it. Yeah. That's all right, I'm glad. That's exciting, I'm happy. That's good, that's kingdom stuff, man. That's all right, awesome possum. I love it. I love it. Kenna got baptized at a youth camp this last weekend. Sorry, I just meant to repeat that. That's really exciting. We're happy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's his name? Okay, her son Craig needs a heart transplant. He just got out of OHSU after some procedure to help get through the, the current time that he's in, but definitely waiting for a heart. So we'll pray for Craig to get, he gets a heart. Yes. Elaine? My sister Ruth, who's two years younger than I am, is in desperate condition. She's dying of bone cancer. And it's about a miracle. It's just getting worse. And she and her husband had their 58th wedding anniversary today. Okay, Ruth uh, has bone cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very severe. And we pray for comfort and we pray for a miracle. The Lord's got that in mind for healing. And she's, she and her husband are believers, right? Yes. Yes, that's huge. Many, many years. Many years. Wonderful servant of the Lord. We're grateful for her. Hope keep her in our prayers. We're glad that you got to see her. Mm -hmm. I have um, a praise. Yay. Yay! Praises are great. Yes, my sister is going to turn 80 years old in a couple of weeks. And she and 
bunch of our families are going on a cruise today up to Alaska. Yeah, all right. There's like 20 of them. Uh, yeah, they're going to keep them busy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a believer. She's Catholic, but that's, you know. That's cool. That's cool. She knows that's Jesus. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Same God. Same God. That's what we always what, say. Uh, what's your sister's name? Judy. Judy. Okay, Judy's turning 80 pretty soon, and she and a 20 other family members are heading for a cruise to Alaska. Yes. Boy, that's suffering. I know. I know, yes. Just think of all the dishes they'll have to wash right now. All right. Preschool and kindergarten starts hmm, September 5th. Just that we will be ready, that it'll be a wonderful year, and Portland to Coast is coming next. Friday. The team I'm on starts at 3.30 in the morning. I'll be walking at 4.30. And anyway, just pray for safety for all the Portland to Coast here and Pacific Coast. Man, cleaner air. Cleaner air. Wouldn't hurt at all, would it, for a Portland to Coast? Mm -hmm. It's not Hood to Coast. It's Portland to Coast? Portland to Coast. Good. And Hood to Coast. Okay. Both. Both. Okay. Good. I prefer that one. Yeah. I don't even want to do either one. <laughs> Anyone else? Don't want to miss anybody. Okay, so Brian's brother-in-law has health issues. Hmm? Ken. Ken. Ken has health issues and their family struggling financially to make ends meet. Yes. I just wanted to tell you, I heard on the news today that Portland won the Little League Championship of the United States of America. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> wow. Guys from all over the Portland area participate. Wow. Well, good for them. Good for them. It's good to see you guys here. All right. Ready to pray? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are grateful to hear from each other. It's something we don't do very often. In a large group, Lord, it's a little harder, but we thank you so very much that we get a glimpse into each other's lives. We're thankful, Father, for many answered prayers, for Jenny's niece letting her know that she's revived in the Holy Spirit, that you have touched her again and that she has found joy in Christ again. And we're thankful for that. And what a great blessing that is and a turnaround. And so, God, we praise you. We're thankful, too, for Ron Louise being here. We're grateful for their, their joy and their smiles and enthusiasms. And we're thankful, Father, that you're blessing her sister uh, on her 80th and a great cruise to Alaska, which we'd all like to be on probably, but here we are. And God bless them. We pray they have a wonderful time and a great experience and many, many cherished memories. We're thankful for that. Lord, we also want to thank you for preschool and for all those families that have signed their, their children up. Lord, that has been a good experience through the years. And we pray that this year ahead will be especially blessed, that every teacher will find unity in Christ together and that the students will thrive and to fall in love with Jesus if they haven't already. And that, Lord God, your light will shine in and through all that happens there in that preschool. And more students can come if there's room. We also want to thank you, God, for those going Portland to coast. We pray for their safety and for the air to clear 
We're thankful for Teen Challenge being able to baptize in a different location because, Lord, you're everywhere, and we thank you for protecting them. And for, more importantly even, that there are those in Teen Challenge that desire to get baptized. Lord, that is awesome. Thankful, too, for Kenna and for her baptism this last weekend at a youth retreat. We're thankful for your work in her life, in and through her. Lord, she's a blessing now, and we thank you so much for her love for Jesus. We also pray for Ken, for his need for financial um, making ends meet and his wife's encouragements, and Lord, for the doctors to figure out what in the world's going on with him. We ask, Lord God, your special insights and wisdom for all those that care for him. Thankful, too, for little blessings, too, Little League, and for their championship. I'm sure that feels tremendous for those that participated, and God, we pray, too, that even more importantly, they'll all know Jesus someday if they don't already and rejoice in you. That's the real win. Be with Patty Brown and Dolores Leonard as they're at Willamette Falls. We pray, God, for their continued restoration, be able to go back to either a care center, Lord God, or wherever you see fit that will meet their special needs. Lord, we pray for your healing touch upon them. For Sharon Card here, too, we ask, Lord God, your continued strength and encouragements and blessings for her. We're thankful, Father, for her great spirit and her love of Jesus that she's here with us this morning worshiping you and giving you praise. God, we pray for a miracle of healing for her as only your hand could do it through whatever means you choose. Thankful, too, for Caroline at OHSU. And, Lord, we pray for healing for her and encouragements for Teresa and her brother as they've come into town. Also thankful, Father, for uh, Diana. Lord God, what a long journey she's made and what a rich blessing she's been and all the surgeries and all the language learning and to hear about Jesus and to know more about you day by day. We pray, God, for what Deb said, a smooth transition to independent living. And Lord God, if there's transportation to our church or a church nearby, we pray that that'll be made available for her. We also want to pray for the son-in-law who's uh, JW, Lord God, Jehovah's Witness, that's on hospice, dying. Lord God, we pray that they will have their eyes opened, that it's not what they've done, but what Christ has done that matters, and that they will find salvation. And for Willie, Lord, we pray too for Willie. She didn't mention herself, but... Well, she did mention she's lonely, and we ask, Lord God, that you continue to lift up her heart, to encourage her, to hug her dearly and close, and also, Lord, get, be with Deanne as she's going to miss her husband. We pray, God, your peace upon her, and that your Holy Spirit will truly bring light to the entire family. And for uh, Craig, we pray for a heart, a heart transplant, Lord God, for that dear man, and for all of his family, we pray for peace and comfort. Lord, you are the miracle maker, and we pray for a miracle for him. And for Ruth, Lord, Elaine's sister, Lord, thank you for 58 years of marriage. Thankful, Father, for the fact that they could meet each other again. And Lord, we pray for a miracle of comfort and healing and blessings. We thank you that she knows you, and ultimately, Lord, you're going to heal her. We would just love to see that happen in this life, but we know that there's a life to come and that you make everything good and right in your timing. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for all these things, all the blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for sharing. I know it's a, a, a different experience in worship for many of you, but I have found over the years it just brings to light so many things that are otherwise invisible for so many of us. And I thank you so much for sharing. Um,
I'd like to invite us to turn into our Bibles to Romans, chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. Romans chapter 9 is this, what some might consider a hiatus from the message of sin and salvation, for restoration, for righteousness, that there is no difference between Jew and Greek, Gentile. There's no difference in terms of means of salvation or the condition of our souls. And Paul's been making many, many points about this, but then he drops into this three-chapter-long piece where he's talking about Israel, but not really directly about Israel, but about God and God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty and God's plans and whether or not Israel's response to Jesus affirms it or makes people wonder and doubt God's faithfulness and whether God's plans actually are capable of bringing fruition to what God intends. So this is where we're at right now, and generally speaking, the title for the sermon is absolutely unimaginative. <laughs> it, there is no imagination attached to this. Basically, I put it right out there, and I said, Israel's unfaithfulness is in keeping with God's promises. God knew that was going to be the case all along in the Old Testament times as well as the New and today. But the time will come when it will all wrap up according to God's perfect plans. So let's begin with a word of prayer, and then I'll read the word for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to your word now, and Lord, we know that it's really about you. Paul is demonstrating for the people who read, including ourselves this morning, that your plans prevail, that your purposes are perfect, and that your promises, Lord God, are sure and consistent and absolute, and there can be no doubt that what you promise you do. God, we pray now that our hearts would be moved by these very words that you've given us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord. It is not as though God's word had failed. That's really the crisis for all these three chapters. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they're his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's going to really disturb you if you don't know what that means, but we'll get there. Hang on to that. Let that bug you for a little while, and then we'll close it down, and we'll hear what God really means to say to us this morning. Um, Israel today has laws about returning, and they've been in the, on the books since 1950. The question was, who can live in Israel? Who can return to that land that was established in 1948? And the criteria was, if your grandmother was Jewish, then you, today, can return to Israel and live there. 
That was the criteria. And it became increasingly important because with, uh, let's say, Ukraine circumstances today, there are a lot of Ukrainian Jews that want to return to Israel to get out of the strife that's there. It's happened in many times in the Soviet Union and other periods of time in history where people wanted to come to Israel. The difficulty is that if you move to Israel, you're not considered a Jew or an Arab. You are classified with a capital letter, other. You're an other, and yet you can live there and be a resident there and call that home. If you're an other, then if you're not an Orthodox Jew, you can't get married there because they have no civil marriages. You've got to go outside the country, get married, and come back, and they'll recognize that. Marriages over there apparently are done by the rabbis in the Orthodox wing and not in the Reformed or the atheists or the agnostic group that's there and around the world. They've reached some difficulties in all of this because Orthodox Jews tend to marry Orthodox Jews. They want to marry somebody with the same beliefs and values and traditions that they have. But the Reformed or the more liberal end of things, they don't care so much, so they're marrying Christians, Muslims, atheists, agnostics, whatever may have you. They're marrying more broadly. And the difficulty becomes if you're living in Israel as an other, and you come from that group, the dilemma in Israel is not between hawks and doves today. The dilemma is between Israel and Judaism. That's where the politics are at play right now. Who can get in, who cannot get in. In fact, they were thinking about extending it to great-grandparents' Jewish history, but then that even made it more likely that non-Jewish people would be moving to Israel. And so they've proposed maybe we should do DNA testing to figure out who has genetically linked roots with the Jewish population around the world. They're, this is the dilemma that they're struggling with right now. And it really comes down to the question of who are we? That's what Israel's asking in all their political activity right now. Who are we as a nation? And when you look at the letter of Romans, and you get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, there is the very same question. They're asking, who are we if Gentiles are coming to Christ and are blessed by God? Hey, we're the chosen people. What does that mean in terms of God's faithfulness? How does that play out? Ephesians 3, 4, and 6 through 6 is this. In reading this, then, Paul's letter, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. What Paul meant by all of this was that having the law of Moses and obeying it didn't matter. Having a genetic link with the Israeli people doesn't matter. What matters is faith in Christ and the new covenant that Christ established. His death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, that was for the world. And in fact, that was always God's plan, a global plan 
to reach the lost with good news that you're saved by faith and not by works. Now, the Orthodox people at the time and today think that the Christian faith dilutes God's sovereignty and God's authenticity. His sovereignty is at stake because in their imagination or in their thinking, they assume that if the Gentiles are chosen by God, something happened to plan A that required a plan B. In other words, God couldn't pull off what God wanted to do. Their lack of faith in Christ stopped God's plan. And they, they're not going to have that, and they're right to think that they shouldn't imagine God's sovereignty could be stopped. But what's the problem is they don't understand that Israel's unbelief was expected and anticipated by God. It's not inconsistent with his purposes. So is God's purpose for Israel withered away? Is it just a, a husk of what it once was? Has God failed, perhaps? Is God not as sovereign as we imagine he is? The deeper question then is God's sovereignty, not the future of Israel, but God's sovereignty. So the first point in your outlines is this. God doesn't choose people based on their DNA. God doesn't choose people based on their DNA. Those first few verses. It's not as though God's word had failed, for not all our descendants from Israel are Israel. Nor because they're his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Now, it starts right off with something that maybe sounds really strange. Not all of Israel are Israel. The problem that comes to us is that Israel's used in three different ways in the Old Testament. Israel can be a person, previously called Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And God renamed Jacob Israel later on. So there's an Israel. There's also the nation-state of Israel. And then there is a believing remnant within Israel called Israel. So you've got three ways to use the word Israel. And when you run across it in Scripture, you have to look at the context to figure out which Israel are we talking about? All of them, one of them, two of them. What are we doing here? It's a person, it's a nation-state, or it's a believing remnant within the nation-state. And so when Paul says that not all of Israel is Israel, he's not talking about the same thing. He's using two different uses for it, and the context tells us what that is. I think the first instance is definitely Jacob. Not everybody descended from the patriarch Jacob, later named Israel, are actually children of God. That's how it starts. Just because your, your ancestry can be traced back genetically to a person doesn't mean you're part of that family of faith. You're a family in that racial profile. You're in that family of genetic connections, ancestry. But are you a child of God? Not without faith in God's choosing. God chooses his children. That's what's called adoption, Paul would say. We've already looked at that in the book of Romans earlier. Jew and Gentile alike have got that adoption experience as they understood it. 
So we want to move on now and look at this. It's not tied to DNA. So he mentions Israel first, but then he goes even further back. He's like, well, let's even push it further back. How about Abraham, who's going to bless all nations? Have all these descendants. All these nations will be blessed, including ours today. And here we are this morning. Well, Abraham's firstborn son was to Hagar, and they named him Ishmael. And he was circumcised as a sign of the covenant. But that's not what God said. Usually the firstborn son is the primary one that inherits and gets the blessing. But not in this case. Abraham did not listen to God. Sarah didn't listen to God. They just decided they would do an end run on that, and God couldn't pull it off, so we'll help God out. And so here, have, sleep with Hagar, have a kid. That'll solve the dilemma because Sarah's too old, and you're too old, Abraham, really, to be a father. And she's not going to be a mom. So God needs help. Turns out that they were very, very wrong. And as God promised Sarah in her old age would have a baby, well, she did. But what the point that Paul is making is the anticipation that Ishmael, being firstborn and circumcised, would be part of the family of faith proved to be wrong. Now, God loved Ishmael and took care of Ishmael. You can see that. And also foretold his future would be difficult and we'll see later on that it was. But in this context, it's the sovereignty of God that's at stake. God said this, Abraham and Sarah took a detour, but that didn't stop God because God continued to do what God said he would do, and Sarah does get pregnant, and Isaac is born. That's what God's plan brings. Genesis 17:21, going back to the Old Testament. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. God chose Isaac before Isaac was born. This is the sovereign will of God. God decides. Then later on, Abraham married Keturah after Sarah passed away, and they had six more sons. Of the eight sons that Abraham had, God chose one to be the covenant bearer leading to the birth of Christ, years and years and years later. Even though they may have all been circumcised, that wasn't what counted. Even though they were all literal children of Abraham, that didn't matter. What mattered was an activity of God. That's what Paul's saying. And that's why he says, not everyone descended from Israel are Israel. They're not all believers. John's gospel, when he starts off with the introduction, those opening verses in John, gospel of John, say something very similar. Here's what John writes. He was in the world, that is Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Israeli people, but his own did not receive him. It was understood that they had rejected the Christ. They had refused to believe generally, although Paul's a Jew and he had received Jesus, right? John's a group Jewish, he's a believer, so it's not all or none but there's a remnant of believers. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. They weren't children of God in the biblical terminology before this. All loved by God, but not all considered children, believers. Children born not of natural descent. I don't care who your dad or grandma was. Doesn't matter what your ancestry brings. Doesn't matter if you find 
uh, Jewish backgrounds in your lineage. That doesn't mean you're closer to God or more chosen than another. That's not the key piece. Nor of human decision or a husband's will. But what? Born of God. Who's sovereign? Who can choose? Who does the adopting, the choosing, the electing? The Bible says God does. And we're grateful for that. Very grateful for that. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, it doesn't matter what your lineage is. It doesn't matter what your DNA points to. What matters is this, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You're a child of Abraham, even if literally you're not, but by faith you are. You're an Israel within. This is what Paul would bring out. And God's purposes never fail. Grateful for that. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. What is Paul saying? God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing, and he pulls it off. He gets it done. God's at work. The very fact that you and I believe in Jesus, if we do this morning, is an act of God. I, it's so clear to me, you know, when people say, well, where are the miracles today? I say every single person who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a living miracle of God because we give God all the credit. I didn't go to seminary to get smart enough to find Jesus. In fact, I found seminary to be almost the opposite sometimes. It drove me crazy. But a long time ago, God chose me, just as my parents chose me, to be adopted, to be part of the family of faith. And I owe God everything. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not because I'm a pastor that Mary and Karen are going to go to heaven. I'm still praying for one of them. And I can't seem to drag them across the finish line. And in fact, I'm probably the worst witness sometimes. Yeah, Dad's a pastor. That's, of course, that's what Dad's going to do. Of course. Hey, without the power of God and the activity of God, everything I do at every service and memorial and personal testimony is useless unless the Holy Spirit brings it home. And the reason I think that's so encouraging is because I'm not doing this on my own. And if you're praying for somebody and sharing Christ with somebody, you're not on your own. Isn't that a relief? There were times in my life where I thought I needed to punch it up a little bit. I needed to be more astute. I needed to have cleverer things to say. I needed to be able to figure out how to answer all those difficult questions. The more educated I could become, the more effective I could become. Well, to some extent, it is true you can help reduce people's obstacles that blind them to what lies beyond that obstacle. You can reduce it, but you cannot get them over it. You can't get them saved. And so again, aren't you glad that God is sovereign? And aren't you glad that God knows what God is doing? And at the right time and in the right way, God brings salvation. Our job is to pray and pray and without ceasing, keep praying. 
And our responsibility is to open up our hearts to God and say, God, what are you speaking to me right now? Are we still praying for those that don't know Jesus yet? And it's not hopeless. God encourages us to pray. God responds. But it's the sovereignty of God that we can take our rest in and courage. It's a big relief to me. Huge. And I pray that it'll be for you as well. And give us some courage to be believers in a world that is further and further away from the word. Uninformed or misinformed. The second thing is, not only does God not choose us by our DNA, God doesn't choose us by our works. God doesn't choose people based on their works. He's not looking for nice people. He's not looking for good people. He's not looking just for people that are willing to preach, are willing to teach, are willing to go overseas in missions. He's not looking ahead in time to see who will choose God. God chooses us before we choose God. That's the work of the sovereign nature of God. And this is what he's saying in 13, 10 to 13. Not only that, he says, but Rebecca, Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father, Isaac. There's Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, Esau and Jacob, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, what's that next word? Two words. In what? In election. How many of us elect ourselves? Well, you might do a write-in on a vote, I suppose. But you can't get elected that way, right? God elected, chose, called. Same words. It's almost synonyms in how they, they have an effective purpose. An election might stand not by works. There was nothing about Esau and Jacob that separated them apart. God simply chose. She was told, the older, Esau was born first, will serve the younger. Jacob was born second. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, for those of you that have been on pins and needles, I'll just give away the thing right now. What is this love-hate relationship? It is not an emotional term. It is not that God hates Esau, I hate that kid. I don't even like him, and he's not even born yet. That is not what it says. And it's not that Jacob was really likable. In fact, Jacob, for about half his life, was a total jerk. Godless. Jacob means trickster. And he was. Ornery, tough, difficult, made his family, or his brother particularly, really mad, and his dad was put out with him. There was all sorts of things that happened there, but God says it's a preferential Hebrewism. I chose Jacob, not Esau. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's what it means. It's a preference. God said, I am preferring to choose Jacob. And of course, you may scratch your head later on and wonder, why did God choose Jacob? Well, we may never know, but that's God's choice. So he chose through Rebekah, living in the land of Padamaram, to be Isaac's wife. That was God's decision. They had two sons, as we know. Esau was born first and Jacob was born second. And we know that God chose Jacob to be the one through whom the lineage of Christ would eventually go through him and be 
resulting in the birth of Jesus in that manger in Bethlehem many, many centuries later. It wasn't what the twins had done, and this is Paul's point. It's not what the twins did, it's what God did in his saving work and his choices. So whatever Esau did later in life didn't matter, and whatever Jacob did later in life didn't matter. God was going to get his purposes done, regardless of their future behaviors. Jacob, like I said earlier, his name was Trickster, by what the name itself means, and he doesn't become a follower or a believer in God for a long time. You can follow his activities, his attitudes, his behaviors, all that was just terrible in so many ways. But he finally has it out with God. And later on in the book of Genesis, it says that he wrestled with a messenger or wrestled with God. I think that's Jesus personally that shows up. And they have a wrestling match, and he's going, I'm going to take you down. And God says, well, let's, let's give it a try. And eventually Jacob ends up with a dislocated hip, and he limped around for the rest of his life. And it was really interesting when I looked at the passage, because Jacob says at the end of the fight, so to speak, he says, who are you? And God says, don't you know? Well, not really. He's that far off. But he's now encountered God in a way that he's never encountered God before. And God says, don't you know? And then it's very telling because after that, he gets blessed by God. And then Jacob says, I've seen God. It's very telling. But it is in that moment, in that event, that God says, you're no longer going to be a trickster. You're no longer going to be Jacob. You know what I'm going to call you and everybody's going to call you? Israel. Do you know what Israel means? He who wrestles with God. Israel's been wrestling with God all along. How about you? How about the world? Wrestling with God. And sometimes I don't even know who they're wrestling with. Did God get Jacob's attention? Absolutely. Was Jacob looking for it? No. God is sovereign, and he gets his purposes done. Genesis 32. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So that Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He's a sinner and he knows it, and he should have died on the spot. But by the grace of God, he's saved. And who is it that he gives credit to? God. As we could all do that by our salvation in Christ as well. So despite his Jacob years, was God at work? Mm-hmm. Did God bring him home at the appointed time to faith in Jesus? Well, faith in Christ. They didn't know his first name would be Jesus, or the name would be Jesus, not first name. Yes, you're always saved by faith from first to last. Always. Old Testament, New Testament today. It's an act of God's grace that we rely on. Not ours. Not our works. Not our genetics. Not our value, our worth, our inherent being. We thank God for his work in our lives. That he 
gave us faith in Jesus. That's a gift. And then Paul quotes Malachi 1, 2 to 3 about Jacob and Esau. This is where the quote comes from. Uh, Malachi um, does say in his prophetic book that God loves everybody. Everybody. Why then did he choose Jacob over Esau? Was Esau lost? Was Esau condemned? Did God decide that, Jacob, you're in, Esau, you're out forever? Is that what God does? Does God say, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven? That is not how God operates. Jacob's blessings had an impact on his brother. God's chosen people are there to be a light and and salt for the world, not for their own selfish and self-centered interests and benefits. We're chosen by Christ to be believers today, not for our own salvation and our own blessings and our own well-being. It's for the sake of others, to serve, to share, to declare, to magnify the Lord so that others can see the work of God in us. That's what we want to do. Obadiah lived a thousand years after Esau and Jacob, and in that thousand-year period, he was reflecting on history because Esau gave the origins to the nation of Edom, east of the Jordan, down south, a little bit by the Dead Sea, and they were not friendly with Israel over time, and so Obadiah says this, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, or against Jacob's descendants, Israel, you'll be covered with shame. You'll be destroyed forever. Jacob was there to bring salt and light and the message of salvation. Esau, his clan rejected in large part. Therefore, Obadiah said what he said. So being a literal descendant doesn't matter. And being, living according to God's laws and all the statutes and all the traditions doesn't matter. I had a, a landscaper working on my yard some years back, and he was uh, very much a legalist. He was all about celebrating all the festivals that Moses declared in the Old Testament. He took those days off work. His entire crew were allowed to take off work, and he challenged me on that. He, he just believed that if I didn't celebrate like he celebrated, I was a lost soul. I could not possibly be saved. It was like talking to a a Judaizer, we'd call him in the scriptures, where they brought Jesus, but you have to do all these things or Jesus is not enough. And I shared the gospel of grace with him. The gift of God is our salvation in Christ, and he couldn't even grasp it. The legalisms were so tightly wound into his being. Paul says, we're not saved by what we do We're saved by an act of God, and that's by God's grace. So, here we are in America today. It never really was, I don't think, a Christian nation, but it was heavily influenced by Scripture, heavily influenced by by the Christian communities, and today we're further and further away from that than ever. And we might wring our hands, we might wear slogans on our shirts or on our hats or in our in our statements, but you know what? Is God at work in America? What do you think? Has God thrown in the towel and said, well, that's it. You're toast. 
No, here we are in this land, missional in our thinking and in our activities, and in what we seek to do is to bring salt and light to a world that's in the dark. And we cannot save them, but God does. And when we share the gospel with people, the Holy Spirit then can work within that. It might be years later, and sometimes it is, but what if it's in that very moment? I still remember on a, a retreat with the Alpha program out at the beach, and one of our dear old friends, Nancy, uh, who Jenny grew up with, took care of her, um, Leffler at the time, at the early years, right? Nancy Leffler was her name growing up. She's at the retreat, and I said to Nancy, Nancy, does anybody here want to accept Christ? And she says, you know, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I said, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to accept Christ right now? Is there any roadblock or anything in the way? She said, no, not really. And she accepted Christ right then. I had nothing to do with her salvation. All I did was say, anything in the way right now? And she said, no. And the Holy Spirit brought her home. Isn't that cool? This is the encouraging work of God. And I think sometimes we feel like, like Abraham, we need, a, we need to get with Hagar and have an Ishmael. And that is not how God works. We're just to be faithful witnesses, faithful, steady, pointing to Jesus, and trust the Holy Spirit to do great work. The Holy Spirit does. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Who called us into a relationship with Christ? Did we? Did your pastor? God did, right? Cultures change, we see that. Politics change, we see that. Weather changes, don't want to be in L.A. this morning or this afternoon. I don't know when the hurricane's going to hit, but they're going to have more water than they've had in 80 years down there pretty soon. Economies change. Does God change? Does the good news of Christ change? Was the Old Testament plan A and the New Testament plan B? Paul says no. It's all a work of God, and it's all done by grace, a gift, and it's all done by faith, not by works. Nobody can boast. Thank you, God. 1 Peter 1.23, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. God's word's like the ABCs. It doesn't change. The good news doesn't change. Then lastly, and this has been leading up to this, is that what's our role in this then? If God's responsibility is consistent, His purposes are certain, He's got a plan. He's working that plan. Here we are. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, you are a miracle, a work of God, and we're thankful for you, and I'm thankful for my salvation, and I'm thankful for the privilege of sharing the gospel. What we want to do, all of us, we want to magnify, or you could say glorify, the Lord, God's sovereign grace. What does it mean to magnify? Well, it's like the Webb telescope. If you enjoyed the pictures of the universe. I mean, they have found some startling things and some amazing clarity, right? The Webb telescope in space, wonderful pictures. I was looking at some of them this morning. They're incredible. But that doesn't mean that they're not out there just because we couldn't see them. What Webb telescope does is it helps us see what's already there. And that's our responsibility is to magnify God for the world, not to make God bigger, 
but to help them see God in a bigger, brighter way, that they can understand the gospel. I'm going to say, say it again. I think the key piece for us in witnessing for Jesus is to realize that the world around us is all hung up on works and merit and value, personal value. The message of Jesus is absolutely 180 degrees opposite of what the world imagines. We're not trying to give them a better way to live. We're not trying to give them a better code of ethics, although there is a better code of ethics in what Christ taught us. What we're giving them is the message that we're not saved by works or genetics or value or worth or achievements or anything else that we might think we have to bring to the table. We bring the message that's very humble. We're saved by an act of God who calls, chooses, elects us to believe in Jesus Christ and still does for others around the world every day, every day. This is the sovereignty of God, and we want to make people aware of it. You're a chosen people, Peter wrote. Peter's Jewish, who writes to all of us. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy Israel, really, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare, here's the magnification, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who called? God did. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what do we do with that mercy? What do we do with that gracious gift of salvation? We declare. We magnify for others to see the good work of God in and through us, to make his purposes known. God still has plans for Israel. I'm not sure how all that's going to play out. When we get to chapter 11, we'll see that Paul will tell us that at some point all Israel will be saved. We'll figure out, and I too will figure out more accurately what that means when we get there. I haven't dug deeply into that yet, but we will get there eventually. Jeremiah 32, 42, this is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, Israel, so I will give them all the prosperity I've promised them. In other words, in other words what he's saying is don't let circumstances fool you into thinking that God's purposes aren't going to prevail. I still think one of the best answers for prayer for all of us if we're praying for the sick is to pray for their healing even if they have a terminal illness. Why? If they believe in Jesus Christ, will they be healed? Well, then there's really nothing wrong with that prayer, is there? Heal now, heal later, or heal at the resurrection, but this is good. God's at work, and he will not let us down. He promised eternal life. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., and the nation really suffered about 50 years later, even further calamity, very destroyed. 2,000 years later, almost in 1948, Israel became an independent state, a nation state. 67, the Six-Day War brought more land and even incorporated Jerusalem into their real estate under their control, even though Jordan technically is responsible for the Temple Mount today. However, modern Israel isn't a theocracy leaning on God and led by God. It's mostly a secular state. 
Some are openly atheistic, some are openly religious, and they claim the land by the Abrahamic covenant. Some believe that the state of Israel is the Savior. To move to Israel is to get away from persecution. So that, in their minds, is Christ, the land, some believe. Some religious Jews are still waiting for Jesus to come. And when they see Jesus coming, they imagine they'll just have freedom from all oppression and, and suffering, not from the freedom from sin, the forgiveness of their sins, but for temporal salvation. And then God, I know, promised the land to Abraham's descendants. That's clear in the Bible, right? It's going to happen, yes? The question we have to ask ourselves is, is the state of Israel today the final state? or not. And what if, and I'm not saying I want this or you want this or that it's going to happen, I hope it doesn't, but if the state of Israel were to collapse and be overrun, would we wonder if God's plans had failed? The answer is they cannot fail. They cannot fail. God said to Abraham, I will give you this land. And that, I know that that is exactly what God has in mind. And we can trust him through thick and thin for that. And eventually, Romans eleven twenty six. all Israel will be saved. Ultimately, isn't there a new Jerusalem coming down? He saw a new Jerusalem and Revelation coming down from heaven. Aren't we all one people in Christ Jesus? A new Israel, you could say. Aren't you glad that God is the saving agent? Because how many of us have messed up? I hope that none of us feel like we have to win people to Jesus, although we can use that term loosely, but don't think that you're the solution. You're not the Savior. And don't think because you didn't have all the right answers that now you failed. I think some of my concern as a pastor is a lot of Christians feel like chronic losers. How many people have you seen come to Christ sitting and talking with you in that moment? And then some of us check out, well, I, I can't think of anybody, so I guess it's really not my responsibility. I'm no good at it. Just, just take that eraser and scrub the board clean, okay? Take bleach and put bleach on there if you have to. I don't like that thought. It's a wrong thought. It's a bad thought. It's a temptation. That's not from heaven, but from hell. You are fully capable of sharing Jesus with the world around you because you know him. If you are saved, you know how to convey what it is that that means. You can't answer all their questions, that's fine. What if you ball it all up and you walk away and you go, oh, I wish I would have said, or oh, I didn't, I said it wrong. You know, the Holy Spirit is at work. And despite our weaknesses, what did Paul say? Where I am weak, he is strong. We share Christ in humility and reliance on the Savior, right? So here's the thing. Outreach, evangelism, discipleship are still right up there in our priorities. We can't do the evangelism from here. Evangelism has to happen more or less out there. And if we have the confidence in the sovereign might and will of God, then we can share Jesus and not fret. We can share the gospel and leave it in God's hands and pray for them, pray for those that don't know Jesus yet, to know. And miracles happen. Miracles happen. You should have seen Jenny crying when her niece called her up on the phone. Jenny, I want to tell you. She said, Jenny, I've always wanted to be like you. 
I've given up smoking. I have returned to Christ. I found love in my heart. And we didn't see it coming. God did. That's the message of Paul's for us today. God is sovereign. We can trust him. Miracles can take place right now. Let's pray. Lord, it's a great treasure that we have in Jesus. And Father, we know that not a one of us is worthy, that not a one of us can say we were good enough or receiving ready enough. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a legalistic thing. Lord, it's your sovereign work. You're calling, you're choosing, you're electing. And Father, I pray for anyone that's wondering about it right now, online or here in the church, like my dad sat in church for years. Lord God, I pray that right now in this very moment, they would know your calling love. They would be drawn to you, that your Holy Spirit will say to them, I love you. I love you. And that they would open up their hearts to Jesus and find the forgiveness of sins, to find the freedom in Christ, to know your love more deeply and richly personally than just a word, but a living presence. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Bless them. Encourage them. And we know, Lord God, that you'll bring, it, bring us all home. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are, and thank you that we can trust you completely with our very lives, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, let's stand. Thank you. 
does. And as Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves, he does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus. Jesus, right? Our Savior, our Lord, loves us so very much. And the sacrificial grace of Jesus brings us home. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, be with you all now and forevermore. And that's a long time, isn't it? Beyond time, with God and each other forever. What a blessing. Be with you always and forever. And all God's people could say, Amen. Go in peace. Have a good day today. Enjoy yourselves. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Have some goodies. Enjoy each other's company.